try to keep it too long so we can get to the Lord's Supper. Privilege of having that together today. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and then put your finger on that and also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For those of you who follow the quiet times that we do and then we talk and share about in the community groups, the, the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a very important one in understanding the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And, and we've been meditating on that all this, past, and all this week, and we're going to look at that passage today. So for those of you who have not been with us, and I know even those of you who have been with us, we've been going through a, this series. We are in part four of a series called Gospel Community, and we've been going a little slowly through this because we, we've had some guest speakers, we've had missionaries come to town, and, and last week my wife and I were out of town. So they're good interruptions, but uh, today we, we're going to go through part four. We had a message num- on number one was the centrality of the gospel, the word of God, that the focus on the apostles' teaching, which is the gospel. Two, we talked about quiet times. In part two, we talked about the need to let the Lord speak to us through his word, to quiet down all the noise that comes into our minds from our culture and sometimes also from us. Part three, we talked about breaking bread and eating meals together and how the way we eat and how we invite people into our lives is tremendously shapes not just our lives but the very pattern of the way we do community and how the gospel and how Jesus, how Jesus offered and brought people into his life through meals should be at the center of our lives. Very, the very pattern of the way we eat. And today, we are going to talk about as well um, that they were, the early church broke bread and how the breaking of bread has a kind of twofold meaning. We, we talked about that two, uh, two weeks ago. The way they broke bread, how they ate. But also today, we're going to talk about how they broke bread. It signifies the very meaning of the most important meal in your life, that is, the supper that the Lord prepares for you. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let me read both passages today. We're, we're, uh, the, the seminal passage is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So let me read verse 242 42 to 47. A picture of the early church gospel community, not just something that happened back then, but what the Lord gladly desires to make happen again and again when people come together and let Jesus, His redemptive work, be the center of all that we stand for and what we believe in. And this little picture of community, I would like to challenge you. It is not just something that happened back then. Do this again. Do this among us. And then we're going to switch, flip forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 34. So this is the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. This is what we're going to look at today, breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of community. Let me ask you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When we're focused today, we, we looked at what it means that they had focused on the apostles' teaching. We spent one week on the breaking of bread. And today, let's take a look at this passage. I think it's a tremendously relevant passage. Something that happened in one of the early churches that was planted in the church of Corinth. And they had an issue. Paul raised an issue about how they eat. About how they eat their meals together and also how that affects the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That's the context of this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. This is Paul speaking. In the following instructions, I do not commend you. He's not happy here. I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He's kind of sarcastic there. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. I want you to remember that verse. It's a very powerful accusation he's saying. You get together, you're doing the Lord's Supper, but I'm saying it's not the Lord's Supper. For in eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, and this is very famous, so many churches, well, every time they take the Lord's Supper, these are the words that they quote. And then I'm reading this to you in context. So he's giving us very powerful, important teaching, what he has received about the meaning of this, but he's also applying it. He's applying to a particular situation. This is what Jesus said. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming every time you take this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's a scary verse. It's a very scary verse. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. 
It's a very scary thing he's saying there. He's saying some people have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And because of that, some people have gotten sick and some have gotten ill have died because a certain judgment has come upon the church. That's what he's saying. The scary thing he's saying. Verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Now, there's a lot going on in there. Let me pray for the message, and so we'll, let me, let's, let's get at it. We want to be your community, Lord God. And in a city, in a culture that is so individualistic and so self-centered, we don't know how to be with other people. We don't know how to eat with other people. We don't know how to have a community that's beyond just the few people that I like to, who are already like me, who are already like the things I like, who will eat the things I eat, who make the same amount of money as me. Lord, we want to be a community that's a, a different kind of community that breaks racial and socioeconomic boundaries, that goes beyond mere sociological personality temperaments and preferences, Lord God. We want to be the seed of a new community where your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth. And we will eat as you desire, Lord God. And as we eat this Lord's Supper, it will bring power. As we eat the gospel, there will be power to make this community Come and be seen here in this city, here in this place, Lord God. Have grace upon me, Lord, and have grace upon our people. Have grace upon me to speak your truth, and that we would hear it, we would be humbled by it, and we would follow you in Jesus' name. Now let me, number one, what's going on here in the Corinthian church and how it has relevance to us. What's going on here? The church, the early church would gather together and they would eat a meal together. And they understood that until they kind of ate a meal together, that there, somehow there's something lacking in community. And I think we in the modern American West, we kind of don't un, un, quite understand that. That community so much is, has about coming together and we eat together. This common meal. I mean, in, in, in America, we, we, you know, you have your own hamburger and you have your own french fries. But, if, you know, you go to certain kinds of restaurants, they, we call it family style. You, you know what I'm talking about? And you notice all the food is in the middle and then we, we, we all gather together. And the hands, you know, certain hands go together. We, here in America, we try to be very, you know, sensitive about this. We have the serving spoon and you're not supposed to stick your spoon in there where you're, you know, you're... Your germs and stuff will get in there and mix with everybody. You're supposed to use the serving spoon. But nonetheless, this we start to recognize as family style. And most cultures of the world understand that when you want to have community, you eat together. It's powerful. It's not just we get together and I like each other, but we get together and we eat. And this practice happens all throughout the world that community is so much... It's signified by the eating. I don't know if you, any of you guys have, uh, for, you know, many of you guys from Korea or from other parts of Asia or other cultures. When you go home, back, go back to, well, I shouldn't call it home because some of you, this is home, right? But when you go to the, the 
call it your motherland or your grandparents' land. And what's one of the first things that you do or one of the things that they do to say that you're, you're part of us? They'll invite you to a meal. And it's interesting. Years ago, I, I you know, took a trip to, to Korea and, and I hang out with my uncle and we have a language barrier. You know, my, my Korean level is about second grade. And his English is, of course, utterly non-existent. And so we have language barrier. And yet, I'm his nephew, and he's my uncle, and he loves me. So what does he do? It says, how to signify that we are one. We are community. We're family. What he does is he takes me out to eat. So he takes me out. You know, and he buys me a, a pretty nice meal. It's a pretty, it's a fairly expensive meal, and it was uh, where you know, and he's not a he's not a well-to-do guy. And so, as we're eating this meal, I felt somewhat guilty, but at the same time, tremendously grateful. And we, you know, I'm trying as best as I can have a conversation with my uncle. And it's it's a well, I ask him this question. He's not a really talkative guy. I ask him this question. He answers with like two sentences, and I go, that wasn't too helpful. <laughs> And, but we're eating this meal, and then he orders, you know, the national, you know, drunkenness of Korea called soju. <laughs> and he orders this, and he sits it down, and then, and then he pours me a cup, and then all of a sudden he goes, he remembers I'm a Christian. He goes, oh, he goes, you drink, right? And I go, um, sure. <laughs> and I realize that this is, you know, receiving love from my uncle, you know, and he, we kind of tap glasses, and, and we down, and I down a shot. And we have this meal together, and after, and having this meal together, we shared community, right? We had shared this, the meal, the time, and you could tell he felt satisfied. It was really interesting. He had this sense of satisfaction, like, yeah, we ate. I love you. You love me. Cool, isn't it? Even though we can't even talk to each other. And that's what it was like. And I don't know, is it like this in some of your families? And if you think that that meal is not a good meal, I, I beg to differ with you. It is a good meal. Now, let me say a little something about that particular meal and then how it relates to this 1 Corinthians 11 passage. Notice, my uncle said, you're one with me. We sat down together. We ate together. We even drank together. I don't typically drink that stuff, but he offered it to me. He spent of his money. He waited for me. He treated me like a man. He didn't treat me like a kid. He didn't go, okay, there's the kid's table. You sit over there. He he treated me like a man. And he waited for me, just as the passage says. When you get together to eat, wait for one. He waited for me and we ate. And we shared this community. What's happening here in the passage is in in the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church is actually a remarkable church. There's many spiritual gifts. There's powerful things happening. There's miraculous things that's happening. Incredible people that you don't normally see in church are getting saved. People who sleep around with their family members are getting saved and coming into the church. That's the kind of stuff that's happening in the church. It's a powerful church. But along with people leaving decadent lifestyles, are, there's all the worldliness is breaking into the church. So that kind of the anti-community, the anti-community practices of the world are breaking into the church, and Paul is not a happy camper. As the pastor of this church, he is mad. So what the church would do is, as so many non-Western cultures get together, when they come together, we're a community, right? What do they do? They eat. So they have a meal together and they eat. 
Then they have worship. Then they do the Lord's Supper. So that's, that's the practice. And what Paul is saying is, you get together and you eat, but the way you eat is horrible. Some of the guys are poor. They're off in the corner. Those of you guys who are rich, you're enjoying your caviar over here. The guys who are poor are sitting there getting nothing. Those of you who are, are, are you, you're coming here and there's this powerful division in the church. And so what he's saying is, don't you have your own houses? If you want to eat this food, eat it at home. So it's interesting. It's a very interesting point. He's not saying, be all guilt-ridden. You have to all come here. Those of you who like to eat caviar, come here and make sure they eat caviar. That's not what he's saying. That's not exactly quite what he's saying. He's saying, eat if you want to eat. And if it's about you just want to stuff your face, do it at home. That's what it's about. But when you will do it in the name of Jesus, then eat in a way that's befitting to him. Now, and he says the way you're doing it is so bad that when you get to the worship part, so now the practice of the way they do community, it stinks. It's not really a Jesus community. Really what it is, it's all the divisions of the world. The rich guys over here, the poor guys over here. I can imagine this. There are people who are of different racial because Corinth was a multi-ethnic, racially mixed city. It wasn't long ago in this country that if you go to a restaurant, heck, you don't even have to go to a restaurant. There are two, there are two drinking fountains. They call them for the whites and then for the blacks. They don't even want to drink from the same drinking fountain. So imagine in a city profoundly used to racial division, perfectly comfortable socioeconomic division. And they say, okay, let's get together. We're all Christians. Let's eat this meal together. And then they don't practice this. So if it, you find it offensive that, you know, only a couple generations ago, people would not eat. You have the for the coloreds restaurants and for the white people restaurants. This has been going on. This is just the sheer norm of the world. And that's what's going on here. They have the meal, but they're eating it in this powerfully worldly way which utterly dishonors Jesus. And then they have their worship. We're all Christians here, right? And then they do the Lord's Supper. And then when they all come up to do the Lord's Supper, what Paul says, you're not taking the Lord's Supper. It is not the Lord's Supper. It is not the Lord's Supper that you're doing. You say it, you say I have all the right theology and you do all the words, but that thing, that meal you just had before that was disgusting. You just completely destroyed everything this is about. That's what he's saying. And so, in our church, we're doing this Lord's Supper on a regular basis. I mean, you know, uh, normally, actually the second week of the month, we don't normally do this, but it's such an important verse. I, I felt that we should practice where, we, where it's going to be preached today. So that's where we're going to take it today. But that's what's going on in the passage. Now, I want, to, I want to say that was point number one. We're going to get into the relevance of... Now, point number two. I want to talk about the power of the Lord's Supper to shape and make community. The power of the eating and the meaning of the eating. Now, look. It's very easy for us to get on our high horse. If we can go to a foreign country and we realize, hey, these people never eat with these people. Like, wow, there's, there, there's like racial division in this society. 
or for us to read the history books or watch the movies and you see how certain people were never allowed to eat or even drink together and they have this division. But let me just show you that it's not too easy. It's, it's before we get on our high horse that the way we eat together, the way we eat in our life, it's very powerful. It very much signifies all the divisions, so many divisions. I talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, that eating sets up boundaries. They, they form social boundaries. If you like Korean food and you invite your Caucasian friend over and he can't handle even a tiny little bit of spice, you're, in a sense, even though he's sitting at the meal, he's like, oh, I can't eat that. I have no idea what that is. That is scary to me. <laughs> and if you invite that person to your table, even though they're at your table, in a certain sense, you're excluding them, right? So what we eat, the taste of the food we like, ethnicity, excludes. It's interesting, isn't it? How about the? you go to certain restaurants? On this side of town, there's lots of Starbucks. But if you go to certain parts of town and say, hey, let's all hang out. You want to meet me at Starbucks? They're going to go. You know, if you say that to somebody in certain poor neighborhoods in town, meet me at Starbucks, they're going to get kind of like, uh, why? Because they're going to go, hmm, at Starbucks, coffee costs $4.25 a cup, and I don't have that kind of money. So, we're not even talking about a meal. We're talking about a cup of coffee, but it's an expensive cup of coffee. It excludes, you see, socioeconomic boundaries. You like certain kinds of food. So just the very norm of the world, this is the fallenness of the world. I mean, sin, you, most, so, so many of us, we think sin is all, if you do something bad, if you've got bad ideas and bad thoughts. But sin is actually, it's right in the very structures of the way we live. We have dreams and longings for a new kind of community, for the racial divisions to break down, for the socioeconomic snobbery to break down, and people can truly love and be humble and meet together as one, right? Truly, that's what we're longing for. We, we have whole organizations devoted to this thing, the UN. The UN is the dream of the UN is this. I mean, it's not working because they got no Jesus, right? So it's not going to work. But so the very structures of all the divisions of the world, the anti-community powers of the world come together and it shows up all the time in the very way we eat. Do you rec recognize that? You do this. Hopefully you do this three times a day. In our country, you can do this three times or five or six times a day. In other countries, they're not so fortunate. They may be, if they're lucky, they get once a day. But nonetheless, whether you do it once a day or five times a day, the way we eat signifies the anti-community divisions, all the divisions and chopped up in the world. So here in this passage, we're talking about factions. But then in the middle of it, he says what this is the meaning of. And here's what I want to get at today. This is a meal, unlike every other meal. And I'm not talking because there's religion to it. Some people think we come to church... And we've got to do some kind of like holy religious activity because every, every religion has its own rites and rituals. This is how anthropologists do, do it. They show up, they go, oh, the Buddhists got their anthropological rituals. <laughs> and, you know, the Christians got their anthropological rituals. And if you want to look at it on that basis, that's true. But do not look at this as a ritual, please. 
You know what this is? This is to signify that there is a food and a meal unlike every other meal that we normally eat. I mean, even if we try to repent in our meals, and it's interesting, Paul doesn't say, okay, let's try to make the meal all perfect now. That's not what he says. Instead, what he says is, look, just eat at home. (laughs) Eat at home. Because he's not trying to fix the world on the basis of the way we eat, because you can't. But what he instead says is, let's eat this meal the way it's supposed to be eaten and receive it. The real meal that we eat is Jesus Christ crucified, his body broken, his blood shed. We take this into ourselves, and this is a different kind of meal. Now, here are some of the implications. Number one, when we come together here, if you normally meet with certain people, you're like, oh, let's all get together and have a meal. And you go say, let's, let's just pick Chinese because that's typically family style. Are you going to go pick the person? You're, you go, this person does drugs and lives on the wrong side of town. And I just want their hand to be dipping in the same food as me. Because <laughs> I don't really quite know where that hand's been. You know, it might, They might have been nasty shooting themselves up in some nasty way. And then the hand's going to go in the same meal as mine. We're going to eat this. This is what we do. This is not what we do because the world is so broken. And there's actually reasonable. It's actually reasonable why we want to have some of these divisions, right? But in this meal, this is a meal presented by God. And at this meal, you come precisely because your hands are dirty. This meal, you come precisely because you hate other people and they hate you. And this is the meal that's supposed to break that all down. This is the one meal where we don't do this. You're like, uh, you, I don't want to eat with you. You, let's eat hamburger so I can have my own and you have your own. This is the one meal where we break from the common bread. It is the blood of Jesus. You hearing what I'm saying? If we do this on a regular basis, you have a habit and a practice in your life that's unlike every other meal that's like, you will look at all these other people and look, I mean, literally, look around the people in this room. Are there people in this room you would normally never want to eat a meal with that you don't know how to have community with like, like my uncle invited me into? This is saying Jesus invites you into that community to have a oneness that's impossible outside him. Outside him. That's what it's supposed to be. I can imagine if Paul lived in Jim Crow South in America, he would probably go, you got this meal over here, the whites only, and then you got the blacks only, and then on Sunday the black people do their Lord's Supper and the white people do their Lord's Supper. He's like, it doesn't look like the Lord's Supper to me. What are you talking about? Aren't you all supposed, shouldn't there be sometimes, at least sometimes, we get together in the name of Jesus and we can eat this meal as one. It's power. There is power. It's not the bread and the, and the wine. It's the body and the blood of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? One implication, it's power to form a new kind of community. Let me make a second implication. This is the meaning of the past, present, and future. Hmm? Your life. You know, you should, you should know. I mean, if you were a bum and you lived on the street, and you have begged for little scraps of 
Big Macs or something like that, and you dug around in the garbage can, and then one day, a very generous rich king said, come, live in my house, and you got to eat his food. Every time you ate that meal, it would remind you, in the past, I was a beggar eating out on the streets, but today I eat in the king's house. That reshaped your past. It reminds you of your past, but it redefines your past. It now tells you what your present reality is. Your present reality is, I live in the king's house, and I eat his food. But it also shapes the future. Shapes the future. This is the part three of my message. Now, the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just take you to heaven; he gives you food. He sets before a table before you. And you know what this is? This is a picture of a larger feast. That's why this message is called the Lord's Supper and the Banquet Feast of God. This isn't the banquet feast yet. It's the banquet feast that is yet to come when there will be a meal in the future when all the divisions are gone. Isn't it just, it's almost like it's impossible to even conceive of. Where all the poor and all the rich and all the black and all the white and all the Hispanics and all the Asians and all the food preferences and all the ways we go, oh, we look down upon them because they eat this, blah, 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 right? And all these things are finally gone. And there is one meal, the meal prepared by Jesus. And we call this, the Bible calls this, the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lamb of God prepares a feast where he is kind of the meal itself. It's kind of weird. It's the way the Bible uses this language. Revelation chapter 19 says, this is how the Bible describes heaven. It's really incredible. The Bible doesn't describe heaven like a stadium or like a party. It describes it as a feast. A tremendous and incredible meal. Every culture can relate to the meal, right? And yet here is a meal that we look forward to. And this is to say, this meal is coming. Eat what the Lord... Now you're in his house, you get to eat this. But there is a meal that's coming so much bigger and more that has been prepared. The cost was great, the blood of Christ. What he serves is all that was poured out of his life. That's what this is. It shapes your past. It shapes your present. It shapes your future. And when the Christians get together in the name of Jesus, it's not shouldn't just be the songs, and it's not just the preaching, but we got to eat. I want to challenge you. We talked about this two weeks ago. How you eat and you invite people into your life to let them eat. And just think, every meal that we eat, Jesus' meal. Kind of interesting. But why we do this on a regular basis? In our church, we try to do this twice a month because you need to eat of the wedding supper of the Lamb. To be told, because we're so forgetful, your past has been redeemed. Your present is now different and renewed. And now the future, long for this future, this future, the future meal is coming, impossible to break, impossible to be taken away from you. And when 
the people of God come together and eat this meal and truly eat it without despising each other because we understand the community that's being made. People are like, these are strange people. They're in our eating, in our believing, in the love feast of God's grace through Jesus that we begin to see this is a different alternative community. It's a counterculture community breaking into this world. On earth as it is in heaven, foretaste of as it will be as it will be forever and ever. Do you long for this? That's what we're going to do. We eat the gospel. We eat past, present, and future. It's life. We're going to go to the table now. And I want you to consider. There's this remarkable verse in here. Do we eat in an unworthy manner? So many people think uh, eating an unworthy manner, I got some sins in my own life, individual, but that's not right. This passage is saying part and parcel of eating in an unworthy manner is to discern the body of Christ. That is his body broken for us and the body that he makes. It's to look at the other people and to realize how I treat them, how I look at my, my Christian brothers and sisters, how I'm in unity with them. It should be something like the way my uncle set a table before me. This is how we ought to eat together. And that heart and that spirit should flow out. And then we will be inviting each other into the meals in our houses. That spirit will flow out. And then the way we set the table of love and grace to each other. That's what this is. So please discern the body of Jesus Christ, the people of God. And if there's somebody in our church or somebody here you despise or you you know dismiss or you'd never want to eat with if you wouldn't want to eat with them why would you if you wouldn't want to eat a meal with them can you take the supper because Jesus says now through me eat together that's what it's about because Jesus says I wash you I washed him too so love him as one has been washed so we go to this table I know that Many of us have not used to thinking about the Lord's Supper and been thinking about the wider body of the Church of Christ and to let Jesus reign in all that we do in our relationships, the way we worship, in our practice, even right down to the way we eat. Will you please consider so let, that we no judgment on our church and instead only just sheer blessing, the very power, the power of the Supper, which is really the power of the Gospel, to come into us that we can eat it we rejoice. Let's pray and go to the table. In a very self-centered society, Lord, where we practice anti-community selfishness, always choosing our own preferences, always cutting out other people and excluding them, even when we don't intend to, because we're so high-minded, of course, but nonetheless, the very normal practices of our society as being anti-community, Lord God, and so pro-self-centeredness, Lord, will you just break back against and push back against this today? And here in our church, here in New Hope Church, here in this very room, Lord, will this be a meal of unity, 
a meal which was a foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb, the great banquet feast of God. And let people come to this church. They would eat of your gospel. But more and more they would go, this is something strange going on in this church. What they don't understand is that people come to this church to eat of your love and your grace. That is what we come for. Which could only come because you have died for us. We remember what you did for us and how it reshapes our past. Will you be reshaping our present? And of course, Lord, let us run to the future, which is breaking into this world, to a world full of powerful divisions, racism, and socioeconomic snobbery and oppression. Lord, as we eat this meal, let your power and your kingdom come. In Jesus' name.